What a wonderful way to start this Sunday morning as we celebrate the Lord, recognizing who he is and what he has done. So we are excited that today, not only we are looking forward to see what the Lord has for us in his word, but also at the beginning of a wonderful letter, a wonderful book from the Bible, that we're going to start a new series that is going to be very practical. The book of James is one of the most practical books that you can find in the scriptures. And I encourage you that you bring a pen, a pad, take notes, um, discuss one another. One of the great things is that this semester is a unique situation for us. We're going to start this series of sermons in the book of James. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to start also Bible studies with men and women and youth the entire church is going to go digging deeper into this. So if you haven't registered in one of those Bible studies, I will encourage you to do that for two reasons. It's so hard in 35 to 40 minutes that we do in a sermon to bring that much information that we need, those details about this wonderful letter that literally it will impact your life. Because it's like we are reading the paper this morning about what is going on in our lives today. So I will encourage you to make plans. Today is the last day, I think. You can find a room, maybe. I don't know. Or if not, just get the book and study alongside with us. That would be a great opportunity for us. So with this wonderful commercial, let me dig deep, deeper in the, in the Word of God. Let me say a word of prayer so the Lord can guide us through his Holy Spirit. Lord, here we are again, trusting that you are going to guide us. Trusting that you are going to use your word to impact our souls. Let it be that way, Father. Speak to us. We need it. I need it. In Jesus, your son, we ask you this. And everybody says, Amen. Tools. I'm not a handyman. My wife is a better handy woman than me. But we had tools at home. But let me tell you that I need to use them and sometimes when you have a little kid in, living in your home, you need to use at least one of those tools very often. The one that I use a lot, almost every single day, is the screwdriver. You know, when uh, nowadays the toys are coming with batteries and the kid is playing all the time with them, occasionally or more than that, very frequently, you need to change those batteries. So I became really good managing those little screws that I had to take from those things. And I am changing a lot of them. When I was changing batteries yesterday, we were just trying to put together a game, my son and I. I was just thinking about that, and I was trying to reflect on what I'm going to say as an opening illustration for this new series, especially this new sermon in James 1. And it occurred to me that God also loves tools. As a matter of fact, his son was a carpenter, right? So he probably loved some tools. But I wonder, what kind of tools does he like? What would be his more preferable, his most favorite tool? And since I was using a screwdriver, I was thinking, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe he likes screwdrivers as well. And this is why I was thinking this way. Think for a moment. A screwdriver is able to slowly increase the pressure and bring about its intended purpose. The same way, God 
uses spiritual screwdrivers called trials to accomplish his purposes in our lives. And that's precisely the theme of this letter at the beginning of the book of James. Trials, tribulations, temptations. Even though trials and temptations, we're going to study more in depth next week, start in the same root of the work in Greek, they are different. One has to be with the externals affecting the internal, and the other one is the internal trying to, in other ways, move us into the external. But let's focus on these trials, these tribulations in our lives. Even though trials occupy a large part of our time, we prefer to avoid them. We prefer to ignore them. Even if we don't talk about them, we might think that somehow magically they will disappear if we don't say, if we don't mention it, if we don't invoke them. Some people believe that trials are a form of punishment from God. Yes, some people think that if you are a believer, your problems are resolved. <laughs> are you? Your problems are resolved? Do they tell you when they were sharing the gospel with you, as soon as you believe in Jesus Christ, your life is complete. You're not going to have any problem. They lie to you, right? Because on the contrary, it's not that you're going to have more problems, but you're going to be more aware of the problems. But the good news is that God is going to meet you right there where your trials are. That's his promise. He's never going to take you away those trials, but he can promise to be with you in the midst of your trials. And that's exactly what James is trying to teach us as we study his word this morning. Trials, tribulation is the same for believers and non-believers. But specifically, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in God, you are going to be facing trials. That's inevitable. You're going to face them. Believers are not immune from hardship while living in this world. This world that is rebellious against God. Through the scripture, we see that. Remember Job? His life, the deep pitting, the predicament that he was living, losing his, not only his possessions entirely, but his, his own children. What about Jeremiah when he was sent into the pit when he was there for a while? Or, or Daniel's when he was thrown into the lion's den and spent the whole night there? What about Paul and his chains? Bad things happen. To God's people, believe me. James is saying exactly the same. But he is saying that we need to simply accept that the various trials will come. Not if they come, but when they will come. And this is the interesting way that he's starting this letter in this chapter 1, verse 1. He is saying that we need to be joyful when those trials come. That's a weird thing, don't you think? So we will experience trials and sufferings in life. In fact, there are only three types of people in this world. Number one, those who are in a trial right now, those who are exiting a trial, and those who are going to about to enter in a trial. So if you are not in a trial, just be patient. Maybe by the time that you leave this place, you're going to be in one. So 
That's the common equalizer for all of us believers. We all confront trials in life. This is the central idea of this message. Trial tests our faith with the goal of perseverance, the acquisition of wisdom and perspective to grow into Christ-likeness. Trial tests our faith so we can learn perseverance, endurance, so we can acquire wisdom, so we can understand perspective. So instead of trying to avoid trials, my invitation to you from James is to embrace them, to understand that those trials will help us because trials are our teacher, not our torture. Trials are our teacher. It's going to teach us wisdom. It's going to teach us endurance. And it's going to teach us a new perspective, God's perspective. So I will invite you to open your Bibles in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. When you go almost to the end of your Bible, if you bring a paper copy of your Bible, you go almost to the end before, you know, Hebrews, and then you will see James. Before Hebrews, you will find the letter of James. So go there. Given that suffering will come, James is focusing on helping us to learn how to turn toward God instead of turning away from God. Because that's what happened. The moment that we as Christians, even as Christians, start confronting those trials and tribulations is when we are really, really showing what type of faith do we have in God. They say that uh, Christians are like the tea bags. Put it in hot water and you will see the true colors. It might be right. But that is when the faith is not in the right person. It's when we think we believe instead of just believing in that we believe. So we need to see trials and tribulations as a, teach, as a teacher, not as a torture. But before we go deeper into this, who is writing this letter? Who is this James? Because believe it or not, there are more than five James in the Bible. And I'm not going to go into detail. Your Bible study will focus on those things. But let me give you a summary. This is the James who is the half-brother of Jesus. Because believe it or not, when Jesus was born from Mary, it doesn't mean that he was the only begotten son of Mary. He's the only begotten son of God. But according to what we read in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has more brothers and sisters. And here's one. This one who didn't believe in him like the rest of his siblings until the death and resurrection of Christ is when he started believing in Jesus Christ. James was likely the oldest half-brother of Jesus. And after years, as I mentioned it, of not believing in him, Jesus appeared to him and he trusted him. Later, James became the chief elder in the church in Jerusalem. Apart from Paul and Peter, it was James, one of the pillars of the church. Yet, something remarkable, the way that he starts this letter, he says in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1 in James, this letter is from James a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not saying, 
This is Jesus' brother speaking. He didn't say, this is one of the elders of the church of Jerusalem speaking. He didn't say, I'm one of the apostles. No. He simply said, I'm just a slave. I'm just a servant of God and Jesus Christ. What a humble way to introduce himself. Those who knew him, those who understand this terminology in the first century, understand specifically what he was inferring. He is recognizing that Jesus was God. And he is presenting him in such a way. Yet he does not refer to himself as a Can you imagine being a brother of Jesus? Can you imagine Mary talking to James and saying, James, you should be like your brother. <laughs> Can you imagine that? What a pressure for the little guy. Might be a reason why they didn't want to believe in him. They didn't like the guy. It was like Joseph in the Old Testament, right? That he was always performing before his brother with being the favorite of, uh, of Jacob. I'm not comparing them, but in some ways I was thinking, what a pressure for, for James and, and the rest of the siblings being compared with him. But in many ways, this is the one, the servant of Jesus, the servant of God. Like James, let me ask you, do you see yourself as a servant of Christ? As a slave of Christ? How do you introduce yourself? Oh, I'm doctor so-and-so. I'm a professor so-and-so. James simply says, I'm just this, a servant, a slave of God and Jesus Christ. To whom is he writing? In the same verse, second part, I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, abroad. Greetings, he says. James is not addressing his letter to a specific group of people. He's not addressing to a group in any particular city. He is just sending this letter to all believers from the 12 tribes, meaning they were Jews, who were scattered because of the persecution that started. Right after the death of the first martyr from Christ, which is Stephen, everybody was running away. Well, James is writing to all of them. In many ways, and you will know more if you do the Bible studies, that this actually was the first scripture that we can find in the New Testament. James is saying, being, being believed that this is the, the first book that we can find in the New Testament when he was written. The actual meaning of the original term that he is saying when he's telling them, greetings, greetings to you. Is actually be joyful, cheer up. That's what he's trying to tell them. Very unusual way to greet people in the difficult circumstances that they were going through. So after introducing himself, James turns to this, the theme of his letter, trials. And he gave us three purposes. And you remember three purposes of James in chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, is exactly what we're going to learn today. The first one is this. Trial teach perseverance. Trials teach perseverance or endurance. The primary purpose behind trials is to develop perseverance in Christian character. The process of trials is never fun, but the results are beneficial. 
Look what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, not if troubles, but when troubles, because troubles and trials are inevitable. They will come. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Just in this second verse, we are learning that trials are inevitable. James is saying, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. When? Jesus, we see here that James is giving us a fair warning about the kinds of trials that we can expect. The Greek term translated for various is not talking about necessarily the, the different type of trials. It's talking about all kind of trials that you can find. As a matter of fact, the term is, is the same term that we can use for a polka dot. Uh, can you see a pattern or a polka dot, a lot of dots everywhere? This is where they got the term. In another way, it's a multifaceted, multicolor way of seeing the trials. It's like a diamond with many cards. You see the different reflections. It's like, you know, you remember your grandmother who was knitting on something and there was like a string in different colors, there were shade, different shades, they were changing one, one color to the other on the same string. Uh, in some ways, this is the idea here, describing the multicolor, the various natures, but all of them are trials. When these trials come, Christians are to see them as an occasion for an unmixed joy. Why? Because trials also has a purpose. Verse 3, for you know, you know, not the way that you say that in English over and over. This is one of the things that it was difficult for me when I was trying to learn English. Because sometimes, especially with teenagers, I was talking to them and I was wondering why they say that many times you know in the same sentence. You know. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? <laughs> but here is with a purpose. Because the word used here is a word that means that you know not just in your head, but you know because of the experience. Because you experience it. Trials have a purpose. But before we can grasp what the purpose is, we had to get, give up the view that we have to see troubles simply as a, as a burdensome, as, a, as an offense. We need to see them as a test. How many of you like tests? Of all kinds. If you are a professor, you love to give tests. But if you are a student, you hate them. You are, you are relieved when the, you are announced that the, the, the test is canceled. You hate to go to a doctor and run all those tests. You know they are good for you. They will reveal something about you, but, but you don't like them. Nobody likes tests. But tests is an instrument that helps us to see how it's our faith. God doesn't test you because he wants to know if you believe or not. God is testing you so you know how much your faith has grown. You are the one who needs to figure out. God knows you are not going to inform anything with him, but he knows that through the trials and tribulations as a way of testing your faith is how you will find out 
if you really trust, if you really believe. So trials are our teacher, not our torture. In verse 3, it comes from the Greek documents, testing, that means approval. It's a word found in the undersides of many ancient pieces of pottery. When they were building, when they were, you know, they, taking the clay, making the, the pot, and they put it into the furnace, the way when that thing was taken as soon as they take it from the furnace, and they look through the sunlight, and if there was any crack, they repair it. But it was perfect and complete. They just put a mark, a mark of approval, a seal of approval, saying it's perfect. It doesn't have any blemishes. So it's ready. This is the idea here. In every trial, God's initial purpose is to produce perseverance of endurance. And that the way that you can persist through trials so you can become approved, you can become perfect. And during those tests is what brings about the maturity that is God's ultimate purpose for your life and for our lives. In verse 4, we see it this way. James implies that trials and endurances require time. So let it grow. For when you endure endurance is fully de developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You will be approved. You will go through the, to, through the trials, to the furnace. You will go through the crucible and the problems in your life. And when you stay there, when you resist, then you will come up complete, perfect. You will be approved. As people, we naturally want to get the product, but we don't like the process. We love to see a, a person who has a great body and shape because has been in the gym, but we don't want to go to the gym. We love the PhD diploma hanging on the wall, but we don't want to go to study for those five plus years. We like the product but we don't like the process. But the problem is, God loves the process. He doesn't care about the product. The product that he cares is when you finish, when you go through that process, and you are approved through that test, through that trials. Trials are a normal part of life. Yes, if we endure it, James is telling us, you will be complete. You will like nothing. We need, we need to learn this. Do you know that um, the pearl, ladies, do you like pearls? They are the product of something amazing. A process that is painful, but amazing. When something enters into the oyster, like something like a grain of sand, and it's irritating that, the, the oyster simply covers it with the most precious part of his being and makes it a pearl of it. The way that he's involved in the grain of salt, the grain of sand, is becoming that oyster. A true pearl, then, is simply a victory over irritation. So the more irritations the devil throws at us, the more perils we ought to have. Isn't, isn't that coincidence when we read Revelation that those gates that we're going to enter into heaven are pearly gates? That's 
the gates where many of those who were faithful until the end, the many trials that they went through, will enter through those pearly gates. So James is teaching us here that God has brought us trials into our life, and only God can bring you out of it. He now explains the second part. Trial teaches wisdom. Trials teach wisdom. If you need wisdom, he says, verse 5, ask our generous God, or he will, give you, he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Many times we don't have, not because we don't have faith, it's because we lack wisdom. And here, wisdom is not applied to a generic wisdom that many people might think. It's nothing about, you know, how smart you are or knowledge. It's, 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 it's about the perception, the understanding. They, they say that the book of James is the Proverbs of the New Testament, and that's exactly true. Because this book is full of wisdom. It has a lot of concepts and a lot of commands that is teaching us all that. When we fall into a trial, we usually pray, Lord, deliver me. Take these problems away from me. Lord, take me out of here. When you are wise, you understand and you change your prayer saying, Lord, help me to learn what is this thing that I'm going through. And please be with me while I'm going through. I was speaking one time with a person that I admire so much. He's one of my mentors. I know that he was having a hard time. He, was, he lost um, a beloved friend. He, he was going through a tough time, very difficult time in his life. One day, I was just crossing to his office in the previous church, and I, and, and I saw him. And, and I say something to him, and, 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 and he, I say, I, I'm praying for you. So this is a word of advice for you, okay? The next time that you are tempted to say, I'm praying for you, please listen to this. I'm praying for you. I know you're going through a tough time. I never imagined his response. What kind of prayer are you asking God for? I mean, my inclination was for, for you to go through this, for you to bring, you know, and I say, if you pray, just pray that the Lord will not let me waste my suffering, that I can learn endurance and wisdom through this. I'm never going to forget that. Because we had a tendency to ask God to remove the pain from us. Instead of focusing, Lord, through this pain, what is what I need to learn? Do you know that anything that is, is hurting you right now in your body, anything that you have in your head, in your pinky, whatever, anywhere that you're hurting right now, it's just a sign for you that something is not right in your body. But what is what we do? We go and put a couple of Advils so we can alleviate the pain instead of trying to see what is wrong with me. We have a bad theology of suffering in this country. As Christians, we have a bad theology of what suffering is all about. We don't want it. We don't, we don't get it. If something is not according to our will, we, we, we manifest that. We, we, we form. We march. We, we draw some signs and start telling that we don't like those things. If something is not according to what I was expecting, I get depressed. I, I, I'm angry. I, I don't speak to anybody. I just move to another church. 
instead of trying to confront the situation and understand what is what I need to learn through this process. You see, we have a poor theology of suffering. We need wisdom. We need God's wisdom to understand what is exactly what the Lord wants me to learn. Because trials and tribulations are a teacher, not a torture. That's what I need to get. So we lack wisdom. We ask God. He gives generously. I love the fact that he's, he's saying that he's not re re reprimanding us. It's not like, come on, you man, again, you're coming to us for the same thing. I gave you wisdom yesterday. Why are you coming? He's not going to do that. Every time that you think you're lacking wisdom, we are every day. We ask God for wisdom so he can help us to discern. In verse 6, we read, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. This is the prerequisite. When you ask for wisdom, ask believing that God will give it to you. Don't be double-minded. Don't waver for a person who is divided loyalty, who is double-minded, is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blowing and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided because God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Double-minded. Those who come to the Lord, Lord, I ask you, I know you can do. And then I go and try to work it out myself. That's a double-minded. You ask God, wait on him. In his time, in his way, in the way that only he can do it, he can provide. And he can help you to see what you're learning. But a double-minded person. And he's talking about Christian. This letter is for believers. This letter is not for unbelievers. This is for you. This is for me. He's telling us. Trust me in the middle of the trials. Ask for wisdom. I will show it to you. Then you will learn why you had to go through all this. Just wait and see. But what we do, we try to fix it. We're men. We're supposed to fix things. Lord, help me. Knock at the door. Uh, brother, can you help me? <laughs> or so-and-so, can you help me? Or you just move away and do something else. We need to be of one mind. We need to learn. You can come to the Lord, acquire wisdom, and learn how to pray. You can tell him, Lord, the pain is bad, and I feel weak, and sometimes I wonder how much I can handle. I don't know if I can take it anymore. I'm easily discouraged, Lord. I don't have what it gets to, to accomplish this. Why this is happening to me? I like some relief, Lord. But... I'm surrendered to whatever process you have for me. Just give me the strength to endure. Give me the wisdom to see that you have for me in this. What do you want to do? What do you want to build in me? Please do it. Be here with me. Not only prayer is effective as a tool in the midst of trials, James now discusses, discusses the praise as a means to help us to endure. He is giving us a reason why we can hope. And it's in the last few verses from 9 to 12. He's saying, believers who are poor have something to boast about. For God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a flower in the field. The hot sun rises 
and the grass withers. The little flower drop, droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. You know, I know when we start talking about trials and tribulations, I don't want to bet because I'm a Christian and I don't bet, but, but I, can, I can almost assure you that when you were thinking about trials and tribulations, you were thinking about money, something related to something. Maybe you just lost a job or you are in, in that process of losing something or don't know how to, you're going to pay. So James is ahead of you. He's telling you here. He's telling you that you need to be with a different perception. You need to learn a new perspective. And trials, the trials that you're going through will teach you this perspective. Here, James is telling us, trials are not respected of a person. They are the same for poor and for rich. And he's talking again about Christians, poor Christians and rich Christians. He's telling the poor don't worry that you don't have. Don't wait for that lottery to be win, won. Just rejoice that you have all the riches in heaven. God is with you. The Lord is with you. In your circumstances, he is with you. Rejoice in how rich you are in blessings because God is in your heart. And he looked to the rich and says, don't boast into your riches because the way that you get it in an instant, they can go away. I don't know, Congress might decide that it will go away or <laughs> our retirement or pensions or social security, whatever. So we're not secure anymore. But James is reminding them, don't boast on those things. Boast that the one who humbles you is the one who can humiliate you for your own sake and for your own good. So your eyes can be placed on the right person, not the right things. Because he's the giving of everything. You know that the, the mayflies, lifespan is only 30 minutes. Are you wondering if a mayfly, wondering, oh, all these things that I can accumulate, maybe but when I retire, I can use them. No, it's just living day, well, minute by minute, second by second, because knows that the time is short. This is the perspective that we need to have. We are here. We may not be here next week. Maybe because the Lord comes, or maybe because the Lord calls us home. We just need to rely on what we have next. This is the perspective that James is telling us. Don't boast on the things that you have or you don't have. Boast on the Lord who have you, regardless of your circumstances. And the conclusion in verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. Who perseveres under trial will receive the crown of life. What is he talking about? We understand that in many ways, if we are persevering until the end, we receive a crown of life in the judgment seat of Christ. But here now, we are promised to be blessed. We promise that the Lord will take care of us, that we persevere until the trial that we're going through, that we'll experience God's approval in every circumstance of our lives. The result of God's approval is the reward. You will be blessed. You will be approved. You will receive a crown. And he's confirming this. 
the confirmation of that approval is the sign that we're receiving. The eternal life is not salvation. It's either a temporal or eternal reward for obediently preserving amid the trials. Just hang in there. Just hold on there. Stay there. Amazingly, James boiled down the way that we can have success in our suffering to love God. Perhaps you are a widow when you're alone. Maybe you are going through a tough divorce right now. Maybe you're wondering about your health that it went away. Maybe you're concerned because someone that you love is soon to be with the Lord. It's just a matter of time. In whom are you putting your trust? In whom are you putting your confidence? He will use those circumstances to grow you. As a matter of fact, you and me, we're just pilgrims on this earth. We're just passing by. Those who are going before us are just finally getting home and we're followed. But make our life count for Christ. You just remain under. You just endure the trials. Trials are a teacher, not a torture. God will use his favorite tool, the screwdriver, to test you, to slowly increase the pressure, and to bring you his intended purpose in your life. Let's remain under God's trial and count them all joy because trials are our teacher, not our torture. And as we started last week, think about those who are going through a tough time, not just yours. Maybe the person sitting next to you, in front of you or behind you, is going through a very difficult time. What a wonderful thing is that you can get out of yourself and try to walk just a few steps and just get to know the person and tell them, can I pray for you? I'm so glad. If you haven't introduced yourself, introduce yourself. How can I pray for you? And pray right there. Don't just leave it that way. Because then you're going to become like the prayer that I asked you at the beginning. But do that. Who's your plus one? God is using all these tools. We are all his tools. In many ways, we might think that we are undeserved, but we don't. But in his hands, we are useful. Do you know that you're part of the Jesus toolbox? Brother Hammer served as a chairman. The other members of the tool belt informed him that he must leave because he was too noisy. But Brother Hammer said, if I had to leave this carpenter shop, then Brother Gimlet must go too. He is insignificant and makes every small impression. I give me this small tool, like a, like a little old-fashioned screwdriver. Little brother Gimlet says, all right, but brother screwdriver must go also. You had to turn him around and around and to get anywhere with him. Brother screwdriver turned to the other tools in the belt and says, as you wish, I will go. But brother plane must leave too. All his work is on the surface. There is no depth in what he does. To this, Brother Plain leveled his third reply, saying, Well, then, Brother Saul will have to depart too. The changes he proposes always cut too deep. Brother Saul complained, saying, Brother Ruler, 
will have to withdraw if I leave. For he is always measuring other folks as though they were the only one. He was the only one who is right. Brother Ruler then surveyed the group and said, Brother Sandpaper doesn't belong here either. He is rougher and he ought to be. And he's always robbing people in the wrong way. In the middle of the discussion, the carpenter of Nazareth walked in the shop. He had come to perform his day's work. He put his tool belt and went to the workbench to make a pulpit. He employed the ruler, the saw, the plane, the hammer, the gimlet, the screwdriver, the sandpaper, and all the other tools. When his day of work was over, the pulpit was finished and the carpenter went home. All the accusations against each other, the tools were absolutely true. Yeah, the carpenter used each one of them. No matter which tool he used, no other tool could have done the work better than that tool. Who is your plus one? That's the person that you need to work with. That's the way that we can start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know we are tools in Jesus' toolbox. Each of us has a purpose, has an ability, a task to perform. But our abilities become insignificant if we just do it in our own selves, for our own well, good. But they are so significant when, when they're used with your power and guided by your love, Father. Thank you for appreciating all the abilities each of your children have. You certainly enhance my gifts and abilities by teaching me how I am to be part of this toolbox called your church. Do the same with others. I'm so glad that you need each one of us as tool and your tool belt. Father, thank you for the trials that teach us endurance, that help us to acquire wisdom that help us to change our perspective, to see the way that you see things, and help us to love one another the way that you love us. And don't let us leave this place with a prior commitment to think, who is, Father, your blessed one that I can be blessed today? It's in your son, Jesus, that we all pray, and everybody says, Amen.